Welcome to Simply Vegan Podcast, your weekly dose of vegan chat with me, Holly. And me, Molly. This week, we're speaking to an ex-sheep farmer um, all the way from South Africa. And it's quite an emotional tale. Before you do listen to the interview, I just should mention a trigger warning. There is talk of suicide attempts. So... How are you, Molly? How how's your I'm week good. been? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like I just never see you anymore other than Thursdays. But that I see you more than I did before because we record twice a week now. I know, I which know. Which I love. And people seem to be really enjoying something for the weekend. So Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, it's really good. Quick little quick chat. The more the more simply vegan I get in my life, the better. <laughs> Definitely. Well, last week, last week, we asked everyone to um, share their favorite episodes with us and leave us a review. Thank you so much for the people that did. Um, We first heard from Rachel and her Instagram handle is Rach underscore my vegan life. And she said, hi, Holly and Molly. Episodes 146 and 153 are definitely the best. Love your podcast. Keep up the great work. So mm. 146 was Alexis Gautier, and that is one of my mm. favourites too. He was so amazing. Again, an incredibly inspiring story, like, yeah. like with JH um, coming up later, you know, going from full-on meat eater and serving meat every day to just complete light bulb, huge just change. Her, yeah. her restaurant went vegan. My friend um, went to his restaurant, um, the Michelin star one, um I can't what's it called is it Gautier Soho I Go, think. that's the one yeah, yeah yeah um and she sent me a picture she's like oh my god Molly I'm at this amazing restaurant you have to try it when you come to London and um she like said the name I was like babe don't worry he's been on the podcast I know <laughs> yeah. I know him I know him it's fine we we have to go actually don't we we really should we go do we do out. we've been to one two three feed the sushi restaurant but i think we need a little bit of fine dining in our life yeah yeah refined <laughs> um, and one episode 153 was callum harris and he was good fun he was sort of one for the younger yes. audience i think he's a bit of a tiktok star and um he, yeah he sort of had lots of energy and i think it was quite yeah. a nice sort of vibe um, and there's another review that someone's left, isn't there? Do you want to read that one out quickly? Yeah. So this one is on our podcast and it's uh, from Steve P. Barry. I don't know if that's Steve P. Barry or Steve P. and Barry. Um, <laughs> and the title is Help Me Through My First Vegan Year, which is so nice. Um, and the message, message says, um, I turned vegan just after my 60th birthday. I'd been vegan for just over a year to this point. This podcast together with the Bloody Vegan Podcast has been my only communication with other vegans, which is incredible. Um, the two, while quite different in tone, have given me ideas, support, a lot to think about. They've moved me from describing myself as plant-based to proudly telling people I'm vegan. Ah, that's so nice. Um, my wife, who like Molly is from Neath, um, is also a vegan. So when we go out, I'm not only, I'm not the only one explaining where I get my protein from. (laughs) Um, thanks Holly and Molly for a really enjoyable show. And five stars, five, five, five across the board. Steve love P it. and Barry, you've really lifted my spirits because I love that. Oh, I think sometimes you can get bogged down, can't you? And we've talked about you this can. so many times on the show, but it can be hard fighting the daily battle. And it's something I talk with JH about later. You know, just uh, just all the backlash that we continually get 
on yeah. on social media, on the news, in the newspapers, you know, it can be really demoralizing, can't it? And I think it can be it it, it can get you to a point where you're like, oh gosh, am I actually it makes you question. It makes you doubt yourself. And I know that, you know, you shouldn't listen to all of that stuff because at the end of the day, it is just sensational headlines and it is people just jumping on what's current mm. and kind of being like devil's advocate, especially. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it gets to you. I think, I think you would be wrong to say that, or, you know, you're just, if it doesn't get to you, then more power to you. But I think for a lot of people, it definitely does. Um, and it, it's just, it's a lot at the moment, isn't it? Like a lot of vegan hate in the news. Yeah. And with all the protests, Just Stop Oil. And, you know, they're not vegan. They're not a vegan organisation, are they? Just Stop Oil. But I think it no. all feeds into, you know, the environmentalists, the vegans. Yeah. They're ruining everything. and It's all kind of fighting for the same thing, isn't it? It's all just, yeah, it's all the same message, essentially. It's quite funny. My mum, um, obviously they were at Wimbledon yesterday um just off oil and my mum I was on the phone to her when um one of the second protesters went on to the um it was like court eight or something like that and she was on the phone she was like look they're back my mum is very Welsh whenever I <laughs> whenever I talk about my mum I have to do a Welsh accent um oh, she's like it. look they're back on the stage they're they're gonna alienate people they're not gonna they're not gonna get people on their side and I was like mum but like you know you say that and you know their their point is to get people angry their point is to get people interested like our com- we're talking about them right now do you know what mm, i mean and yeah. i think you know there's a lot of argument of just like well um they're actually they're going to turn people against them and it's like okay but you know they've tried for a long long time to do it the you know the reasonable way to stop people in the streets do you know what i mean handing out leaflets things like that they've done it the um what's the word like the preferred way yeah to get people interested and it's not it doesn't work people don't care if it's not in your face or if it's not literally directly you know taking over something that you love people can walk past it they ignore it they don't have to take it in but when it's you know if it's Wimbledon and you love Wimbledon and just up oil is going to come into the court like and you've never heard of them before they've just they've just come into your life do you know what I yeah, mean they brought the issue to your doorstep exactly exactly and you know like we've just had the hottest day on record things are urgency is picked do you know what I mean it, mm. there needs to be more sense of urgency I think people forget that and it's very easy to just kind of put it at the back of your mind and there's so much other stuff going on as well that like you actually don't have to think about it but we do we do need to think about it do you know yeah. what I mean yeah, we really do. I um I had an encounter a few weeks ago. So my friend has sort of um sons who were like in their late teens, early twenties. Right. And we were um we had like a girly get together and then her sons and their friends came and sort of joined us for a bit. We were sort of down the beach. And um somehow I get chatting to this guy. Um, about, I think someone maybe asked what I did for a job. You know, there's no avoiding mm-hmm. it. And I, yes, no. I'm one of those people who tells everyone I'm vegan and always. <laughs> um, Why not? It's your job. Yeah, you can do it. it. I, I think I it's fine. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, before I knew it, I'm in, in a heated debate with him about um, veganism. And basically his line was, and this is, you know, the next generation, the one we're sort of relying on to save us from mm. what we've created. He said, there's absolutely no point because of America and China. And, you know, I keep seeing this. I keep seeing this. This was uh, interestingly, I uh, following the Just Off Oil um, protest at Wimbledon, I was looking at the comments on Instagram and someone said a similar thing. Uh, their point was India and um, their point was, I think, in the next five years, India want to um, or India plans to increase their emissions by 55 percent. Um, and their kind of argument was, well, like, what are we going to do about it? We can't do anything about it. So what's the point? You know, and it's just, it just seems a bit redundant, doesn't it? It's just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's just not do anything then. Let's not do anything. Yeah, it was, it was actually, because, you know, over the years, you know, both me and you have probably become quite good or, or anyone who's, you know, very passionate about the movement, especially if you're working in it, you have got the answers you know you can Mm. argue back like when you first go vegan you can't someone comes along and goes where'd you get your b12 and you might be like what's that oh oh right you know whereas sort of few years in you're like I can you know I can answer the uh, the questions about dairy I can give them facts about environment but he was just you know could not be swayed would not listen because what's the point um you know when America and China aren't you know they're huge huge countries huge powers and it was it was very hard to um sort of I don't know get anything positive out of the conversation to be honest yeah I think when people have that mindset you know when they are so dead set on something particularly you know something like the vegan movement I think there are people that you're just not going to change their mind you're they've they've got this this kind of point that they believe in. similar to the thing with kind of like where'd you get your dairy from where'd you get your b12 from like these are just kind of like like notes that they've got in their head and those are the points and there's nothing to shift that but then once you can prove that once you can sort of argue against it they'll find something else do you know what i mean there will always be something to to argue against the movement yeah yeah, I think it's actually not the way to go, is it, to get into these arguments and conversations. I think I think the way is to focus on all the positives that are happening. You know, yeah. um, there are every single day you see another news story about a, a university that's going plant based. Or yeah. even the campaigners who are out there upsetting everybody, they are making a difference. They're out there shouting about it. And yeah, we have to just keep sure. focusing on all and just celebrating little wins, you know, whether it's, um, I don't know, like a, a friend coming for dinner and enjoying your your vegan cooking or... Yeah, exactly. Little things like that. I think you, if you focus on all the positives, then it's much better for your mental health. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think as well, just kind of like looking at the news, I'm just on the Vegan Food and Living website right now. Just looking at the headline, NBA legend Chris Paul invests in vegan brand Wicked Kitchen after vowing he'll be plant-based for life. Heather Mill, this is another one. Heather Mills acquires plant-based factory after vegan falls into administration. Do you know what I mean? Like pe- there's still people that are... Um, you know, they they want to make this movement happen. And obviously people with power, you know, these 
NBA legends, Heather Mills, you know what I mean? Like these celebrities, that's who we almost kind of need. I know it's kind of, I think people, some people may not agree, you know, focusing on which celebrity is vegan, but I think you can't argue that that influence, you know, is powerful, you know, it, it can affect people. And particularly, you know, if you look up to someone and, you know, you idolize them and they're saying like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm going to be vegan for life. I'm going to, you know, even if I'm just going to eat less meat, that has a power over people. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Oh dear. Well, it's quite an emotional roller coaster today's episode, and I do yeah. apologise. I've uh, <laughs> I've I've had quite a week of it actually in my sort of personal life as well, and and oh, things going no. on at work, and it's like I don't know. I just need to um yeah, just take a breather. I think. A bit of a breath. Well, we're seeing each other tomorrow, which I'm so excited about. We are. It's going to be lovely. So we're going to Bath. Is it called Bath on the Beach? Bath on the Beach. I think it's literally a a, a beach recreated in the city centre or in Victoria yes. Park, which I don't really know. I don't know if I know where Victoria Park is. I think I do. Yeah, it's a huge park. So presumably they've bought in loads of sand and they're serving like yeah. street food, obviously some nice vegan street yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. And is it cocktails or something as well? I don't know. Something like that. Beachy stuff. Beachy yeah. drinks. It's going to be lovely. Are you going to wear like a Hawaiian thing, you know? Sort yeah, of theme? exactly that. Exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, they're going to do that. Brilliant. I'm going to just come in my bikini. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to come in my bikini, I reckon. That would be should, great, wouldn't it? Should we do it? Yeah, no. let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should do a bit of activism, Molly. Turn up, I don't know, kind of sprayed green or something. <laughs> oh, my eczema, I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't wait. We need some light relief. It's a crazy, crazy world at the moment, isn't it? With with everything going on. Um, and I think, yeah, just got to remind ourselves and, and as, uh, you know, listeners as well, don't forget to remind yourself just to, just to sort of, you know, practice a bit of self-care now and again. Yeah. And um, step away also, from the negativity. Yeah. And don't don't kind of like penalise yourself for having fun as well. Do you know what I mean? And enjoying stuff. I think there's always that element of just like, well, what are you, what have you got to enjoy? We've got, we've got planet saving to do. And it's like, no, you can take a break. You can, you know, indulge. You can do all of these things and, you know, yeah. you can come back to that. That there, there is time. And just because you take your foot off the ball for one day doesn't mean that you've, you know, all of yeah. it is gone. <laughs> yeah. And it's not all down to you either. Like there's, yeah. you know, there's lots of us and we are making a difference each and every day. Well, yeah. keep listening for J.H. Burnett. He's an ex-sheep farmer, as I said, and he also worked in the dairy industry. And he's so sweet. He feels so much shame. And I don't think he ever really wanted to do it. And he had to stay in the industries to sort of earn money. And now he's a vegan activist and he writes books and, you know, yeah. things like that. You find this a lot of times, don't you, particularly with people that work in kind of like slaughterhouses and, you know, all of this stuff, like in really sort of intense ag agriculture um a lot of the times it's it's because they have to it's because you know that's why veganism is also an animal rights uh human rights issue sorry you know there's there's people that are having to take these jobs because they literally have to because they've their their livelihoods depend on it or whatever mm. um and they're having to face these literal traumatizing scenes and yeah. i think 
that is not discussed enough and I think that is often forgotten and, and you will hear that in this interview I think So for today's show, I'm joined by J.H. Burnett, who used to be a sheep farmer and working in the dairy industry, um, and he's now a vegan activist. Uh, Welcome to the show, J.H. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well on yourself. Fantastic. Yes, we've had a few technical issues, haven't we? But we've got there in the end. So (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, you're very welcome. I'm really excited to hear about your story. So... How did you get into farming in the first place? So I grew up in a, in a town, I'm from South Africa. Uh, I grew up in a town called Worcester. My parents were farmers out there on an olive farm of all things. So I grew up there. They also had a cattle farm. But I felt very disconnected with this cattle farm because it was uh, the cattle farm was about four hours drive from where we grew up. So we only went there on holidays. And after school, I started basically, well, I mean, I worked here and then I ended up working on the farm, on this olive farm of ours. And then in 2018, this farm was sold. And my wife and I were sort of in a position of what we're going to do now. And then the opportunity came up for us, which was very exciting at the time, to move to our family's farm in uh, the Great Karoo, which is like the same eye desert in uh, South Africa, sand as far as the eye can see. And what made this a tremendous opportunity, at least at the time in our minds, was that the, the farm is um, the oldest family-owned farm in all of South Africa. Wow. So currently it's two, it's been in our family, and this going to sound very pretentious, in our bloodline, so to speak, for 253 years. Gosh. Which is quite a long time if you think of it. South Africa has only been around what was the first settlers came in uh, about 370 years ago. So 250, well, at the time when we moved there, was around about 248 somewhat years. So to us, you know, there was the sentiment of the whole thing. And we really wanted to be a part of this story, like ninth generation um, of my family to, to farm it. So I moved there. Um, Completely disconnected, and I had no vegan background. We were meat-eating people, um, so this was a sheep farm, right? So we moved there. I didn't know the industry. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Because, you know, it was all about the sentiment. So I moved there, and my grandfather, which at the time he was already about 81 years old, he was still running the farm, and I was supposed to learn from him, and then I'm going to take over from him at that time in a couple of years. And so, so that was sort of how I got involved with the sheep farm to begin with at the start of 2018. Yeah, you can totally see how, you know, that's like you say, it's sort of in your blood and it's just it's just what your family did. So so how did how did that go then? So you you know, what was a typical day like when you were sheep farming? So I'll be honest with you, it never, it never sat right with me going there as of day one, you know, something just didn't gel with me. I remember on the first day waking up, you know, they took us out of the field and we were working on the sheep pens and um, they, you know, they docked the sheep, which means the, the cutting off the tails of the small lambs. And just seeing that, it was literally on the first morning that I started working there. Just didn't sit right with me. I knew this isn't right. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, taking like an old 
semi-blunt, rustic, old pair of garden scissors and cutting off a baby lamb's tail. Of course, he's going to scream for his mother. There's blood and, uh, you know, this it was very traumatic for the sheep. And I, I just knew something, you know, something isn't right. At that time, my wife had stayed behind in Worcester because she still had a business which she operated in Worcester. And she was going to move to the farm, I think, in four months, you know, after I moved there. And I remember going home and said, love, you know, you won't believe it, man. This happened. There was so much blood and this isn't right and it doesn't feel right. And I remember that evening, the first evening that I was on the farm, I drove out into the field where the sheep stayed um, just to check up on these baby lambs that were dark that morning. And I remember two lambs were bleeding profusely. And I knew, I knew, I knew that they're not going to survive the night. They're going to die there in the field in pain and agony. And I literally, you know, in hindsight, you can say, well, was this the right thing to do or not? But I literally took them home with me. They stayed in my kitchen that first night. And I, you know, I tried to nurture them and, uh, you know, treated their wounds and just looking into their eyes. You know, I sort of made the connection on my first day on the sheep farm mm-hmm. that these are sentient beings. They, they're longing for their mothers. There's, a lot of love here mm-hmm. and um, within these beings and I remember waking up the next morning and finding both both of these little tiny lambs dead in my kitchen where I had made a bed for them and it just broke me I, I remember phoning my wife and both of us just cried and that was the start of our journey in sheep farming so the, I was never this can you say this rugged guy who just went about bashing you know sheep and you know I just it just never sat right with me from the get-go so yeah I tried I tried to sort of actually steer away from even living and working on the farm luckily there was a peak in the vision as well so I observed this massive tragedy that was happening with the sheep and seeing how they were slaughtered in cold blood and blood and um and it just so many things was wrong with that picture of how the wild animals were poisoned. And I do write about that in my book, uh, many, many tales, you know, of, of animal abuse that I witnessed. And the more I saw it, the, mo- the more I moved to the peak inside of the business. I stopped eating meat from, I think, within the first month of moving to the farm. So I sort of made that connection quite quickly uh, yeah, since moving to the farm. So how long did you carry on doing the sheep farming before you thought, I just can't continue with this? Just got, Yeah, so as I said, I stopped eating meat within the first month. My wife was still back in Worcester. She stopped eating meat, so when she moved there, we were both, we never called ourselves vegans. We would just, we would just say, well, we don't eat meat because yeah. we had made that connection, right? It was no longer a juicy steak, if I can call it so long in our plates. It was a murdered cow, you know, a yeah. severed piece of a of a loving sentient being. Um, so we stopped eating meat, um, and between her and I, we were always talking about it. You know, the abuse that we saw, and uh, we had a lot of we saved a lot of poultry from the entire region. Um, so we actually started like a unofficial mini sanctuary there by our place on the farm seeing to these animals, loving on them, you know, feeding them, treating them. And uh, we had two wild donkeys that run free in the mountains. They were 
on the verge of starvation. So we took them in. It took us about, I think, about two months to get them tame enough just to bring them home of us. So we were always out looking for the positives, looking for the animals that we can help, knowing that, unfortunately, I am now working for a salary. These sheep, they don't belong to us. Um, so you try to better their lives. But I really did feel like my hands are tied. So to answer your question, I went on for as long as I could. <laughs> Let me put it to that way. Try to focus on the pecan side of the business. But I couldn't get away from the abuse because I was the one that was sent uh, to very often to take sheep to the slaughterhouse in town. And that, that just break one's heart. Eh? Seeing, seeing those animals and they look at you, you know, at that moment where you're about to drop them off and I'm crying and, and you know, you can just see the trouble and the hurt in their eyes. It's like, what are you doing to me, man? Um, mm. A lot of suffering, a, a lot of, if I can call it so, darkness that settled in my heart, a lot of depression. So I carried on. Um, it took me all of basically three years to leave. But in that time, my wife and I, we thought we were very clever. We came up with the idea of how about we can create like a, a, a safe haven for animals. We already got these, you know, the poultry. How about we just expand this and we start getting in sheep, not knowing this is how delusional I was at the time. Of course, this model existed across the entire world. It's called animal sanctuaries, right? We thought we had come up with it, right? So we thought we were going to create this. <laughs> I created this business model. I said, we just need to hang in there. One of these days, because I said my, my grandparents were already in their 80s, the farm's going to you know, come to me. I'm going to hopefully inherit it. And then we're going to turn it into a proper vegan sanctuary. And I thought this the best thing, if you think about it, that at the time, you know, the farm had been in our family for 250 years. And I thought, you know, this is the best thing, the best move we can possibly yeah. make. After 250 years of, of animal abuse to turn it into a sanctuary, that was my dream. So I set up this model and uh, pitched it to various uh, so-called financial gurus. And everybody said, man, this is, you guys are going to be self-sustainable. This, this could really work. So we hung in there. We hung in there just clinging to this dream of ours for, for three years until, until, a couple of family feuds later, which I wasn't involved in, and a tremendous drought. And then some of the big players in our family, you know, some of the shareholders said, we think it's best if all of the family just sort of move away from the farm for a while. Because everybody, they were fighting for this mm -hmm. land. Everybody wanted a piece of the sentiment, right? So they said, I think everybody just needs to move off of the land and they'll rent it out. And then if we want, we can always return in a couple of years. Yeah. And um, so that really broke me. Obviously, a lot happened, you know, in that time. A yeah. lot of incredible stories. Um, but, yeah, that's so that at the end, we had options to move away. We were on the verge of, of uh, moving to New Zealand. My wife had, had gotten a job that signed. But we said, at the, we canceled last one and said, no, we got to stay. we got to stay. We've got to cling to this dream, this vegan, this animal liberation dream of, of turning 
this farm into a sanctuary. And I would say like at number 98 to number 99, the rug was pulled out from under us. And um, at the height of COVID, late 2020, we were basically semi-forced to leave the farm. That's that's how that happened. I, I was hoping it was going to have like a positive outcome, but I guess... It has. It's just you've changed, you know, what you're doing. So you've sort of gone of into activism now, haven't you? Which I'll I'll sort of talk about in a moment. Um, mm. Is the culture quite meat heavy then in South Africa? Because I've got um, some friends who are South mm. African. And um, so the guy like um, cures meat in his garage. So he's like very into his meat. Uh, is it Bry? Is it called Bry? It is. It is yeah. called yeah, called yeah. That's that's when that's not when you cure it. That's when you just barbecue it on. An oh open right, fire. yeah, okay. They call it making biltongs when you cure it in your. Oh, that's it, biltong. Your garage, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and there's also a new um cafe opened up near to me, run by South Africans, and they serve a lot of lamb, um, and a lot okay. of meat in there. So that's sort of my experience. Would you say that sort of rings true? Yeah. Very much so, yes. Yes, in my book, Ex Farmer Called Vegan, I, I call our society, the South African society, like a meat gobbling society. Yeah, just, you know, it's all about playing rugby and, and hunting animals and, you know, frying meat or you know, barbecue meat on the open fire. It's such a massive part of our culture. And so it was a, especially in this region where we live now on the sheep farm. The whole the, the the town itself existed only because of the sheep farm surrounding it. Right. There was no, nothing else going on uh, you know, from a financial perspective. It was only the sheep farms uh, keeping it standing still. So um, to operate in that culture as non-meat eaters, as I said, we didn't call ourselves vegans because we really didn't feel worthy of the title. Because after all, we were still getting paid from the meat industry. If it makes sense. Yeah. Sad as that was, but we were still getting paid. So we didn't call ourselves meat. Uh, we didn't call ourselves vegans. We said we don't eat meat, but we really had a tough time surviving that culture. Um, yes, definitely so. It's so hard, isn't it, when something like that is so entrenched in culture and sure. tradition? Um, how do you uh, cope with that sort of mentally? I mean, how you obviously. Um, have now become an activist and um, it'd be great to hear about some of the things that you do sure. within that but I think a lot of people you know if they've been vegan a while it can it can be tough you know here in the UK there's there's lots of backlash against veganism on a daily basis and what mm. what sort of advice would you give to people listening people like myself who do you can become a little bit tired and disillusioned with the cause when you know, you're constantly sort of fighting and, and not getting anywhere. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, it, it, it's a sad reality, isn't it? But but we really we are getting there. Every day, more and more people are turning vegan. Even if I look at it now, like three years ago, I didn't have any vegan friends. Today, we have men, even in South Africa, even in this meat gobbling society, we have quite a number of uh, vegan friends. So the world is coming around ever so slowly i tend to sort of i don't like the arguments anymore 
um, I, I tend to, I sort of make my case in a very loving way, and then I've, I've learned to walk away from it if I see this isn't going anywhere. So I try to set myself up for success. I can almost see when a conversation is, is not going to bring me life, if it makes sense. If this is just going to lead to judgment and uh, false accusations, then I just sort of want to back away from it. But I really do, I've learned from my struggle, and I've, this whole journey has plummeted me into severe depression at one stage, right? And surviving that, surviving that darkness and uh, dedicating it in my life, I found a reason to live in the animal movement, in the animal liberation movement, fighting and standing for that. So I've learned to say that the life that I'm living, what I'm standing for is worth standing for. So I'm clinging to that truth, and that truth is much bigger than any oppression that I can get from you know, from a meat-eating society. It really is. It could potentially sound like a cliche, but I've lived that life, so I know it to be true. Mm. So I, I, I just I try to just settle in myself, and I, I've done a lot of meditation. Mm. I just I try to do conscious living. When I go out, I know it's going to be a struggle. We're going to go to this restaurant. I'm going to be confronted with you know a lot of crazy things that you don't want to see people that are not going to like your view of the world but it's conscious living it's waking up every morning and maybe just taking that 10 minutes just meditating on the fact that it's in this life that i'm living it's, it's worth living i'm standing for something that's so worthy and um that from my from my perspective it has really helped me i, I don't get down about these things anymore i, I really don't Yes, I think sense. I need to give meditation a go. That's um, yeah, you have a very calming influence, and I think it's it's great to hear that you're still hopeful. You know, after your sort of journey, yeah. what about activism then? Do you think it works? What what you know? What do you class as activism? Because I know you've got you're like a public speaker, aren't you? And you've got books that you've written. Sure, I just want to put it. I just want to put it out there. When I not even have time to delve into them, but unfortunately, I. I after having left the sheep farm, I we were we were completely down and out, and I was I took a job in the U.S. supposedly as a farm manager, all right, <laughs> having to manage the other South Africans that worked on this farm. Now I can imagine my mindset at this time. I wanted nothing to do with the agriculture sector, so I specifically asked, "What are you guys doing on this farm?" Uh, what? How does it look? And um, and it was said, no, no, no. We produce these sort of grains. And I specifically of any, any animals? No, no, no animals. It's only grains. And I ended up taking the job. And within one week, I was in the states. And when I got there as a supposed manager, I was quickly told, I said, listen, we've got a feedlot over here with about two thousand dairy cows. And the guy that who's operated for the last 15 years, I've lost faith in him. This is now the farmer speaking. Because uh, I heard by the grapevine, he's leaving my service you know, after 15 years in three months' time. And because I, I have a master's degree in organizational leadership and, and life coaching and so forth. So he really took a liking to that. That's why he initially had me come there to sort of manage a couple of guys working there. And he so he, he got you know, he, he found a liking in me and said, John, you know, I can really trust you and I need you to take over this feedlot. So all of a sudden, I'm in the US 
having just survived that crazy ordeal on the sheep farm and I'm being thrown into the deep end at a feedlot and I'm begging and I'm begging and I said, I can't do this. You don't understand. I can't do this. I really can't. But at the time, we were completely down and out financially because mm. of, you know, investments that we made, especially looking after a lot of animals on the farm. Mm. So all of a sudden, I found myself in in the U.S. <laughs> completely ruined financially. I can't even get to the airport, right? This is how down and out we were. And the farmers are saying, listen, it's either this or you can leave. Mm. And um, so I was persuaded, and I really, I'm really, it's shameful, man. It, it breaks my heart just having to admit this. Yeah. But I had to, I, I took over the feedlot for about four months in the US. And that just broke me. That just, that just completely ruined me because that's where the artificial insemination came. So, I don't want to say that I cried myself to sleep every night because I didn't, but I walked with that darkness in me. I was, I was constantly just on the verge, just almost ready to end my life. And um, through a miracle, to say, yeah, as if I can put it, so I was, I gave life another chance, uh, and that's a tremendous story as well. That was seeing an elk, you know, an elk of the massive antlers. Yeah. I had been shot in the face one night when I was sitting by a small stream. I sat with the blade on my wrist and I said, man, I can just cut off my wrist right now. I can just cut off my entire hand. This is how depressed I am. I can't stand the abuse that's now happening at my hands. Mm. And um, this elk came walking straight towards me. And I got a massive fright. And I sort of backed off for a second. I thought, how can he not see me? I mean, if he can't see me, surely he, can, he must smell me. I mean, his smell must be a thousand times stronger than mine. He's standing literally five meters from me. And uh, he's, then I saw at second glance, his entire lower jaw was shot off. Although he must have been scared of me, right? He was so desperate for water that he stumbled towards the creek and with this broken face shot to shiverings, he proceeded to try and drink some water. And in that moment, you know, it just all aligned for me. <laughs> it's just all aligned for me. So, John, listen, you've you've got you've got a purpose, man. You've got you've got a story to tell. You can turn this around. You can. It doesn't have to end like this for you. You. You got to get back out there. You got to give life a second chance. You got to speak up for the animals, my friend. So I followed that elk through that mini forest that evening for several hours, following his blood. I'm not sure what I was, what I thought I'm going to find at the end of it, because there was no way that it could be saved. Uh, but just walking, just following his blood through the thick snow that evening, these thoughts just molded in my head. So, John, got to turn your life around. You've got to get out of this section. You've got to speak up for the animals. So I, I quit the next morning. Two days later, I was on the airport back to South Africa, and I haven't looked back since. It's been two and a half years, and I'm so grateful. Um, you see, it, you know, it gets me emotional. And um, my wife and I, coming back then from the States, you know, fully vegan, 
and we're proud to call ourselves so, and we found purpose in the movement, and um, we've dedicated our lives to it. And um, we recently launched a website called Veganism as One. Why? Why that name? Because veganism has won in my life and in your life and in, in the life of the individual animals that get saved through our choices, whether on a sanctuary or, or you know, just maybe just because they're not getting bred into existence as much, you know, to be slaughtered uh, in cold blood. Anymore. So veganism is winning in the individual's life. So our activism is now, it's called Veganism as One. And under that umbrella, I've written several books. The one, the main one is called Ex-Farmer Goes Vegan. I tried to make the title as self-explanatory as humanly possible. And I think I succeeded in that. Ex-Farmer Goes Vegan. And um, yeah, which I tell the story that I just told you, but just much more detail, much more depth. And then we've also written between my wife and I, she's a marvelous children's book illustrator. So we've written several children's books. So we're now launching these on our website, slowly but surely. And the biggest one of which, which, I'm, which I am so excited about is called Super Soy Boy of a, of a young vegan child, a young boy of 10 years old, living in a future vegan utopia where abusing animals will be illegal. And we're striving for that. And I believe in my lifetime, I will see it so. I will see it so. So this boy is fighting for animal liberation, even in that future vegan utopia, because you know, as the story goes, you know, they are so you know, the odd criminal walking about abusing animals in the dark of night. But don't you worry, in steps, super soy boy. So <laughs> picture like a like a vegan Dennis the Menace setting traps and um, poking fun at the criminals, the criminals' expense. So that's, yeah, that's the form that our, um, our vegan activism is taking. And I'm doing, uh, I'm doing, I'm also doing coaching, vegan coaching. Uh, also sort of a broad umbrella term almost, helping people to find the light and the life within themselves and to share that onto the world and to try to light up the darkness. So that's that's more or less the form that our activism takes at the moment, veganism as one. That's so powerful. And I, I am on the verge of tears. <laughs> I've got <laughs> um, just hearing, you know, that moment where, you, you were with the elk in the forest. I mean, that's an incredible story. And, you know, I just feel um, like we should say thank you to you for all that you've done and, and you know, for giving us some hope that there are other people out there who, you know, are trying and think the form of activism that you're doing is fantastic, especially sort of focusing on the younger generation. You know, my son isn't vegan my daughter is he's 11 and I you know I'm desperate for him to have his light bulb moment I can't force that upon him um he goes to school and people tell him that meat is good for you and you know he's just not there yet but I hope that one day he will get there thank you so much man. I'm so humbled I'm so humbled to hear it um I definitely don't feel it um at I still do carry a lot of shame in me. Um, I can, yeah, of, I can tell. Part. It really, 
really sort of comes across. Um, but it does motivate me to keep going. Mm. You know, I'm 34 yeah. years old. I've got at least another 34, 44 to go. So I can, <laughs> and I will stand up, I'll wake up every morning and try to, you know, I can never sit right the past. What happened, unfortunately, has happened. But we're looking to the future and really just trying to mm. light up the darkness, so to speak. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. And um, I'll put in the show notes for everyone to go and check out your website and they can support you there, can't they? I really do appreciate it. I can't thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much for the lovely work that you're doing. Aww. I really do appreciate it. I love you guys' podcast. I was only recently introduced to it, so I'm now listening to podcasts that you doing that you did in 2020 oh if no that makes sense. So, <laughs> don't I'm listen to those ones to from the start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh yeah the the early days when i didn't sort of fully know what i was doing but yeah <laughs> thank you so much please do let us know what you thought of today's episode we love to hear from you you can connect with us on patreon.com forward slash simply vegan from just two pounds a month where you'll receive exclusive benefits and access to our regular monthly cook-alongs. We've got our next one coming up on the 14th of July, 2023 at 12.30pm GMT. And if you'd like to take a look at Vegan Food and Living magazine, you can try an issue for just 99p at veganfoodandliving.com forward slash podcast.